Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Well, we are going to get back to Hebrews here. We're making our descent, and I've kind of looked at the lay of the land uh, preemptively, and the good news is, is there's nothing radical or theological that we're going to have to deal with, nothing controversial that's coming. So, you know, like those pilots, you know, as they, they make the announcements that it should be, we're clear, uh, there should be no turbulence, should be a smooth flight. This is what I'm telling you. And it should be a pretty smooth descent as we get to the very end of this epistle. This is, to date, the longest series I've ever done. And I blew my last record out of the water. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be very intentional not to break this record. I'm not looking to take on something this mammoth again. So, you know, Lord willing. So I'm excited to finally get through this. It's been a really awesome study. We are getting very close. We've probably got a few weeks left, depending on how things go. Uh, But with that said, just to kind of bring it back, we're going to do a quick little recap. This is where we ended off. Uh, Verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. One of the things that we covered quite well is this aspect that contentment is the antidote to covetousness. It is the answer to it. And here's the deal. If you are content in Yeshua, if you truly have that contentment, you will, that tells you, by very definition, you're not given to covetousness. Yeshua is enough. And so you're not given to covetousness, whereas if you jump on the other side of the tracks, you, you start to do some self-introspection. You start to recognize, you know, there's things in my heart. I still, I'm still drawn to the things of the world. I still find myself coveting them. I still find myself caring what the world thinks about me. I still find myself, you know, esteeming the very things that the world esteems. And of course, when you read Luke chapter 16, verse 16, Yeshua says the things that are highly esteemed among men, they're an abomination to God. He hates them. I still find myself, you know, clinging to some of the things, the materialistic things that I see other people have. And I wonder, why, man, I wish I had that. I'm going to tell you, if you are struggling with that, you have a problem. You are not content when those things draw you, with the things of the world draw you in. When the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, needing recognition by the world, you are not content. Well, how do we get this antidote? I mean, if contentment is the antidote, how do we get it? The writer tells us right here, Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. I will never leave you or forsake you. This is what we're supposed to cling on to. This is what we're supposed to believe. I won't do it. And we're supposed to look at it. It's it's fascinating because when you look at the, the verse itself, my Bible's gone. I didn't bring my Bible. I don't, it's fine. We'll get through it. But that's, it's been a while since I've been up here and <laughs> this happens. But the way Deuteronomy 31 verse six starts out, it says, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear your enemies. Don't do it. Why? Why should I be strong? Why should I have courage? Why should I not fear? Because I am with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's why. At which point we break new ground, and the writer says, so we may boldly say, and this is coming off of the heels of Deuteronomy 31.6, because God has said, 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. The writer comes back and says, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Nothing. I love how the writer does this. You remember how sophisticated and this, this guy is brilliant. He lays the foundation of Deuteronomy 31.6 and tells you what the Lord has said. Reminds us, this is the word of the Lord. He said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. And then he takes Psalm 118 verse 6 and plops it up. Well, therefore, believers should be rushing in and saying, yes, yes, the Lord is my helper. I believe that. I believe what the Lord says. The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will not fear. And one of the things we talked about in the last message, we talked a little bit about the fear of God and the power that that fear has. See, that power, it leads us to life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. It gives us life, Proverbs 19. And we, we could talk about Proverbs 16. It's by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. I mean, there's power in the fear of God. But the fear the writer just brought to the table is not the fear of God. The fear he's brought here is the fear of the world. It's the fear of man. It's the fear of what does man think? What does the world think about you? And I'm going to tell you something. This is a fear. You let it in. Let it into your heart. And it will sow doubt. And what does doubt do? Doubt kicks you out of the throne room. See, if you pray a prayer, Yeshua mentions this, James mentions this. When you pray, you have to pray without doubting. It has to be pure, totally run by pure faith. This is where you get your power. But you let fear come in. You let it start to sow within you. It will sow doubt. Fear of man, fear of the world, fear of death. You know what that's going to do? It's going to sow compromise. Fear is a master controller. Man, out of all the things that I've seen mankind struggle with, at least in my lifetime, the stories that I read in the Bible that's not here, this is the one. This is one of the top guns of the devil that he comes in to literally pull you on strings. Attach strings to your heart, to your mind, to your arms and leg, to get you to do exactly what he wants to. It's through this concept of fear. And here's the worst part. Every single person in this room is going to be confronted with it. I'll take it further than that. Every single person in this room has experienced it. You have experienced fear at some level in a variety of different ways. Whether it is fear of your finances falling apart, fear that you're not going to have enough, or how am I going to pay my bills, or how am I going to pay my rent, or am I going to have enough for food? It could be fear of your health. Maybe isn't doctors giving you, you know, death reports? I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. What you have is incurable. It could be death reports, bad reports from your friends and relationships. I mean. Pick your poison. It comes at us from every direction. The enemy sows, attempts to constantly, day after day, to sow fear in us so that he can control us. This is something you're going to have to deal with. This is a reality. So we're going to talk about this. I take this subject, considering where we're at in this generation, very serious. 
on what's coming and all the fear that I see, I get around people and I can smell fear on them. They are riddled with fear. Well, I want to take you through some scriptures. I want to get some perspective. And where I want to go is I want to go to the Psalms. And as as you've heard me say many times, they're so powerful to me because David is so transparent. He lets you into this inner depths of the heart and he shares his heart with you. He shares what's going on. Look at this Psalm, Psalm 55, verse 1. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily, continuing on, because of the voice of the enemy. The enemy is speaking to David's heart and he's starting to tremble. I'm going to tell you the demons are going to speak to your heart. The devil's going to speak to your heart. He's going to try to get in because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. Verse 4, my heart is severely pained within me, and the tears of death have fallen on me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Is David serious? Is this the David that I know from Scripture? He is completely devastated right now in fear. Is this the guy that all the kings of Israel in Judah would be compared to? David is the bar. All the kings that sat on his throne were compared to him, whether they did good or evil. If they did good, then he walked as his father David walked, or he did as his father David did. If they did evil, no, he did not do as his father David had done. Is this the same guy? David is wallowing in this fear. Let me take it a step further. Take you to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 11. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart, oh, and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Are you kidding? Are you serious? Is this the same David who as a young man stood before Goliath, didn't blink, he goes up against an invincible warrior. Nobody thought he had a chance. And David goes up and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He didn't even blink. He doesn't go out with armor. He doesn't go out with the sword. He lays waste to an invincible warrior, chops off his head, gains victory over Israel. As a young man, no fear involved in that experience. And then I read this, and he is absolutely terrified of this nothing pagan king. What is going on? Do you understand what I'm trying to convey to you? I don't care how righteous you think you are, you are going to experience fear. It's going to happen. Are you prepared? I can take it a step further. What about Jacob? A guy who from birth, not even birth, when he was in the womb was chosen by God. He was separated from Esau's brother. He was favored. He's the one that got the birthright, even though it wasn't his by birth. He's the one that got the blessing. 
Oh, yeah, he's the one that saw this ladder with angels ascending and descending and the most high God standing on top. And the Lord spoke to him. I am the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. This land, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, this is the guy that wrestled with Yeshua in Genesis 32. Yeshua changes his name. You're not going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel. This is the guy that goes over to Laban and the Lord blesses him with a massive family. He comes out with his family, flocks and herds. He comes out of there rich and the Lord takes him back to his land. And as he's on his way back, he's confronted with Esau, who's not even chosen by God. He's rejected. And what does it record? Listen to this. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. This is a man who saw God, who was intimately involved with him, who was in a deep relationship, and he's absolutely bearing down on him. He has bearing down on him the fear of man, the fear of the world. I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be times when you're going to feel it. And you're going to feel like King David, and you're going to feel like Jacob. It's going to hit you hard. It's going to hit you in the finance area. It's going to hit you in your health, or it's going to hit you in your family. It's going to come at you from every direction. You're not going to have enough. You're going to die. What are you going to do in that situation? You know, I mean, I look at the situation right now. I can't tell you how many people I'm talking to these days, and they're terrified at what they're seeing happening in this country and around the world. With these perceived pandemics, with violence that we see happening, we have despair, we have uncertainty. Everything is erupting. We have persecution of Christianity on the rise. We have plenty to be afraid of in the flesh. The enemy has a lot to offer right now in the department of fear. More than at virtually at any time in history. And we know... Biblical prophecy, this is only going to increase, right? Let me take you into the New Testament. I'm going to further build on this. And here we go. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Is this the same Paul that I know that had such an anointing that cloths were brought from his body? And they were brought to people and they were instantaneously healed. Oh, and demons were flying out of people. Is this the apostle Paul that literally saw Yeshua, the resurrected Lord in his glory with his own eyes and went blind? Is this the guy who in Acts chapter 14, he goes out and literally heals a man that's never walked before in his life. And it was so amazing that the inhabitants, they came to offer sacrifices and they called him a God. This is Paul. Is this this guy? And here he's, he's opening up like David. He's letting him know we got conflicts all around us and inside we're feeling it. We're terrified. There's fear. Is this the same guy that said this? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. Is he the same guy? How this could he even be? Is this statement contrary to this statement? I want you to listen to me carefully. It is not contrary at all. Do you understand what Paul says when he says here, God has not given us a spirit of fear, power, love, sound mind. 
Paul is not telling you you're not going to deal with fear once you become a believer. He's telling you what the spirit of God is and is not. So when you feel the fear of the world bearing down on you, the fear of death, all these different things that this community and everyone else fears, you can know this is not of God. If this was the spirit of God that I'm feeling right now, I would have power. If this was the spirit of God, I would be filled with love. And perfect love, yeah, we know. How does it do? It casts it out. I know the spirit of God gives me clarity of mind, not an anxious spirit. You know, anxiety and fear, is, am I the only one? When, when you suffer that, I know I'm not the only one. It's hard to think, isn't it? It's hard to get your faculties. It's hard to think clear because it's bearing down on you. It's so weighty. I'm telling you right now, you are going to face fear as believers. It is coming in a way you haven't experienced it yet. And my question is, are you ready? What do you do? Do you know how to deal with this? Well, let's begin to deal with this. And I'm gonna take you to Acts chapter 18. And this is what we read. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid. The backdrop is Paul's in Corinth. He's just begun to preach the gospel of Yeshua. And now the next thing you read is is the Lord gives him a vision in the night. Don't be afraid. Why does Yeshua come and say that? Because he's terrified. Now, we're not given the details as to why. There could have been certain men there that were really intimidating, violent men. We have no idea what was going on there. But the Lord knew, because the Lord knows the hearts of all men, to come to Paul and he told him, don't be afraid, okay? But speak, as in the gospel, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in the city. Isn't that interesting? This is exactly what Deuteronomy 31.6 says. In fact, it's so crazy because the Lord Yeshua has already spoken these words. You could go back to the Torah and find them. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear your enemies. And then Deuteronomy 36 finishes, for I am with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. This is Deuteronomy 31.6. And so in essence, what Yeshua is doing, keep in mind, Paul is an expert in the Torah. When Yeshua came and spoke these words, he would have known it. He would have known it like that. It would have been familiar to him. And so where I'm going with this, and keep in mind, what did, what did Paul see? He didn't see. It says he heard. Yeshua spoke. He heard the word of the Lord. Where I'm going with this is it is the word calling the word to remembrance that is going to give you strength, the strength that you need. We need to immerse ourselves in the word of God. You want to fight fear? Keep going back to the promises of the Lord. Again, over the Bible, that's not here. But this is what we do, amen? Psalm 56, verse three, whenever I am afraid, I, I thought believers don't ever, they're never going to get scared again. I thought we're just supposed to be superheroes running around and fear nothing. That's not even reality. That's ludicrous. That's setting people up for failure. It's delusional. That's why it says, whenever I am afraid, it's not, the problem is it's not having to deal with the fear. The problem is, what is the answer? What do we do? 
I will trust in you. I will go back to the words. How will I trust? I trust his word when he says, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I will be your God. You shall be my people. That's what we trust in. And guess what's going to happen? You will be given the strength to overcome. You'll have it. Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He gets that. David gets the concept. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. Where is David drawing his strength? As he is in the valley of the shadow of death, it's terrifying. David knows it's terrifying. He's struggling with fear, but he says, I'm not going to give in to it. I will not fear because he knows his God is with him. He knows Yeshua is at his right hand. Therefore, he can trust. Let me take this conversation to another level, to a very uncomfortable level, a place we need to go when we start talking about this. And it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. It says, and he, and he, what's happening here is God sent his prophet Azariah, the son of Oded. He's going to go to, to Asa. And so Azariah went out to meet Asa and said to him, hear me, Asa, and all Yehuda and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Let that sink in for a second. The Lord is with you while you are with him. Have you ever felt had that, that feeling, that pit in your stomach as you're thinking about your faith and you're like, man, it's not like it used to be. My relationship isn't where it used to be. And you know, Daniel, you say, you know, I read it. I know the word. I know it says God will never leave me or forsake me, but I don't feel he's there. There's an absence. I don't feel him there at all. I feel like I'm on, I feel like I'm, I'm abandoned. May I make a suggestion? If you are feeling that way where you really, in your heart of hearts, don't feel connected, something's going on with your relationship with the Lord. If, if you don't feel that he's there with you, let me tell you what the problem might be. It's you're not with him. That's the problem. You're not with him. The problem isn't he isn't with you. You got to step back and say, am I with him? Because we read as we continue, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And you have this reality. And this is where we need to be right now. We need to think about where we're at in a relationship. Is there a disconnect? Is there an emptiness? Do we really not have that truth? Are we not clinging on, oh, I know the Lord is with me. And we're not drawing on that strength. It's because we could go back to the very beginning. You have the world in your heart. You've left. Covetousness has come in. You're attached your heart to the world. This is not okay. This is, this is very not okay. This is a bad thing. Let's jump to the other side of the tracks for a moment. I've also seen, I've seen this side where people even come up to me. I don't feel it, Daniel. I'm not seeing it, but I have seen radical fist pumping, you know, foot stomping on the devil's head. People go forth 
that are absolutely will tell you, yes, Jesus is at my side. I'm his warrior. I go out and everything you perceive, there is no fear. And then I think Proverbs 25, verse 19, confidence in unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bat tooth and a foot out of joint. That's just as scary as this side. And that Proverbs 25 links to Matthew 7, 21, 22, 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And what's Yeshua respond? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They were unfaithful. And yet they call them out. They say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty works. You got these people sitting in Matthew 7. They are confident they're getting in to the throne room. And they are stunned when he doesn't let them in. Because confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth. And so here you have these two polar opposites doing the same thing. You have one saying, I'm not feeling it. I just don't feel connected because they're unfaithful. You have another one that's overly confident thinks he's connected, walks around, strutting around like he's, you know, a warrior for God, and he's unfaithful. Neither of those are going to make it. And we are coming into a season right now where the line is being drawn in the sand, and you have to choose you this day whom you're going to serve. You have to shed all these stupid thoughts and the vanity that we think about and the vanity we're concerned about. It's all sending you to hell. Every bit of it. We should be consumed with the thought of who Yeshua is, what he has done, his power, his wisdom. We should be enraptured with his love. This is where we should be as people, as as we call ourselves believers. To bring this full circle, Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Why does Yeshua say these words? Why would he say, why is he warning us don't fear them? Because he knows what what comes natural. We're in the flesh. We're going to experience that fear. And so he sends out the warning, don't do it. But this is how you deal with the problem. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. This is it. This is where we need to be. This is the reality. And this brings us right back to where we even start today. It's all about fear. This is one tactic. You want to to fight the fear of the world? You need to have the fear of God. And I'm going to tell you one of the most powerful forces in the universe is the fear of the world. But fortunately for us, there's a greater power. It's the fear of God. Because you let the fear of the world in. I'm telling you, you let the fear of the world come in. And you cater to it. It'll take everything from you. It won't leave anything behind. There'll be nothing left. It will ravage you. Right to your death. And so as we look at this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Again, Psalm 118, verse 6. I will not fear what can man do to me. These are the words. This is the very same words Yeshua just spoke in Matthew 10. It's the same words we read in the Torah. 
I mean, the entire canvas is covered in this truth for us to pick up at no better time than the time we're in right now. It's go time. Now, continuing on, the writer's going to turn a page here. We're going to totally jump a different direction. Verse 7, this is what we read. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. First thing I want to mention here is this passage is explicit. We are not dealing with secular governing authorities as we're accustomed when we read Romans 13. That's not what this is. This is specific. This is about the church, the actual functionality, the functionality of God's holy assembly. It's very specific. And there are three points that are actually made here, and I actually want to cover these one by one. And the first point, obviously, right at the front end here, is remember those who rule over you. Obviously, even with this first statement, this first point that is made, we see the church is to be governed. There's to be an authority structure. It's to be organized. There's to be judges. It's not to be this ramble, you know, random assembly filled with a bunch of men and women who are running around uh, trying to build their own kingdom, trying to, trying to stand on their own island, doing the dictates of their own heart. This is what we see. Moses warned about this. Actually, he warned Israel in, in Deuteronomy chapter 12 when he actually comes out and he tells Israel, you're not to do as you're all doing here today. Everyone doing what is right in their own sight. Everyone's on their own island. They're not subjecting themselves to authority. They're not subjecting ultimately themselves to the authority of God. And I'm going to tell you, that is the death of every community when you see this happen. And I can't tell you right now, man, you know the demons are working because pastors are writing article after article. They're posting videos. It's absolutely unbelievable. And they're freaking out because their flocks are falling apart. Absolutely falling apart. They're going to the wayside. And many of them are trying to come out. What do we do? How do we prevent this? How do we stop this? We're, we're being picked apart. You know, it's interesting to me that I can look at a pagan world. I can look at secular world. And how is it? Explain this to me. That even pagans filled with sin understand there has to be an authority structure to have a civil society. You cannot have a functioning society without authority. It's impossible. Well, unless you live in America today, that's right now being usurped by communism, and notice what it's doing. It's going after authority. It's time to defund the police. They want the authority out of the way so they can come in, the wolves can come in and ravage the land. I'm going to tell you right now, it is no different with the church. Don't think for a moment. See, when the church doesn't have functioning leadership, does not have shepherds, does not have elders, understand what will happen. The devil will come in and implement his elders and his leaders. The wolves will take charge. And so authority is absolutely critical. I want to open up in Deuteronomy 16, verse 18. The Torah says, you shall appoint uh, judges officers in all your gates, which the Lord, your God gives you. Everywhere you're going to go, as you're going to go and settle into the land, I don't care where you're at, within your gates, you establish authority, establish leaders immediately. 
There has to be shepherds. There has to be caretakers who care about the people who want to guard and protect them. And we see this as the gospel goes out. The gospel of Yeshua goes out. This was the first thing that was established. We know this, Paul's letter to Titus, we read this. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. It's the first thing. So, okay, we're going to go out and we're setting up churches. First thing that needs to happen, we got to have that eldership. We got to have that authority structure set up. Because again, if you don't, the wolves will come in and run it. They'd be happy to do it. And they will not spare the flock, as Paul tells us in Acts 20. Let me take you to 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 4. I'll give you an example. Jehoshaphat dwelt at Yerushalayim, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim. And what did he do? And he brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. Revival. Jehoshaphat stirred revival and the people are experiencing teshuvah. They're returning back to God. And the very next thing you read, once they turn back to God, first thing you read, then he said judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, everywhere. That's the first thing you do because the judges are the vital organ of the community. They're the watchmen. They're the shepherds of the community. They're the gatekeepers. They need to be the ones responsible for cultivating an atmosphere of righteousness. This is what they need to do. Deuteronomy 25, verse 1. If there is a dispute between men and they come to court, that the judges may judge them. Their judges are to judge them, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. You know, I'm going to tell you, when judges go forth, elders, shepherds, pastors, teachers, All these men, they go forth and they do exactly what is being said here, that they justify the righteous. They're upholding what is righteous and they condemn the wicked. I'm going to tell you, that community is going to have the spirit of God. God's not going to dwell in a community where it's building up a bunch of leaven. It's not going to happen. And I'll tell you, when when authority structure starts to impose and when God's authority begins to be imposed, not for the sake of dictatorship and oppression, but for the sake of righteousness, it puts the fear of God into the people. And let me give you an example. I didn't put this up here. And um, Deuteronomy 19, go home, read it. Deuteronomy 19 talks about if there's a false witness that comes out and he begins to testify against his neighbor, okay? This is what he's doing. Well, the judges, the elders are to come in and they're to investigate the matter. This guy's making this claim that his brother's doing this. When they do the investigation, if they find this witness is a false witness, Torah commands that, well, you're to do to him as he thought to do to his neighbor. See, it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You will reap what you sow. When these judges implement that, And it's interesting, read it for yourself. It goes on and says, then the rest will hear and fear when they see and hear of that judgment to know that unrighteousness, lawlessness isn't gonna be tolerated in a community. And that doesn't mean elders are out there breathing down people's necks. That's not what it's about, but it's to know that there is a standard and it's Yeshua. And we're all trying to work and no, nobody's perfect. 
And there's always grace. But when the elders rise up, when the leaders lead in Israel, it is powerful. There's it's safety. Titus, going back, Titus 1, 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Now, this is, a, this is the commission for the elders. These men, these judges that are to be set up in the cities, they're to hold fast the faithful word as they've been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine. Does it say according to his own heart? You know, what he feels, or if, if an elder has a personal vendetta, he just doesn't get along with one of his congregants. No, sound doctrine, 100% pure word of God. This is where he gets that, Holy Spirit inspired. So he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort, meaning you reason with these people, you're begging these people, do what is right. Exhort and convict those who contradict. And again, lest the ravenous wolves come out, this is what has to be done. Jumping back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, for even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, Paul himself is an elder, he's a shepherd, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. Now, I put this in here because with all due respect, I mean, some of you have been burned. I know maybe some people uh, that watch us online maybe have been burned. But I'm going to tell you, if there are shepherds that are dictators, that are abusers of power, that is not a safe place for you to be. I would absolutely suggest you find a a different place to worship. I certainly don't mean my in-house community, so sit down. (laughs) But anyone that's watching this, Pastors are not given free license to go around waving a dictatorial wand. They're given a responsibility. And it's not for destruction, it's for building. It's for edification, to encourage everyone to walk in righteousness. And so it is not a position that is to be abused. Moving back to Hebrews 13, 7. Let's get to our second point. Remember those who have rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. I'm going to tell you, one of the most important functions of any shepherd, elder, etc. that they have is to teach, preach the word of God. It's vital. In fact, Peter in Acts chapter 6, what did we learn? Peter says, you know, there's, there's, you know, some of the, unfortunately, uh, the widows are being neglected. There's people that are being neglected, Hellenists. And so they're like, okay, we're going to set men over these matters. But we, Peter and the apostles, will give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. They're to saturate themselves. Two things, prayer, ministry of the word. You want to have a healthy community, a community that's built on power, that is connected to the Lord where you have men hearing from God, they have to be immersed, they have to be clothed in his word, and they have to have a prayer life like no one else, like Elijah, like Daniel the prophet. This is what they need to have. I love what Paul says to Timothy. Let the elders who rule well, not who rule foolishly, who rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. It's the most critical thing, again, for the online community. If you're looking for a community to hang your hat in and you want to be with believers as you should, 
This has to go to the top. Are the shepherds connected? Do they pray? Do they fast? Are they clothed in the word of God? Do they labor in it? Huge, huge for determining what community you want to go to. And it's going to bring stability. I mean, all this brings stability. It brings hope. It brings strength. It brings faith. I can't think of anything better to do than inundate you with the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And to get through what we're coming through right now, you need to be inundated with the word because you need to have your faith increased. Increase our faith, Lord Yeshua. Amen. Proverbs eleven fourteen: where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You have no idea how true this scripture is. I have had several people just by word of mouth come in and tell me, oh, this community is going to start. This community is going to start over here. And it's fascinating. Yeah, we're not going to have any eldership. We're not going to have leaders. And then the stories that come out of there, communities just get ripped apart. They don't survive. They fall. See, because where there's no counsel, guess what? The people fall. That's what's going to happen. Going to our last point here in Hebrews 13, 7. The last point is whose faith follow. And there's a Proverb 13, 20. It talks about he who walks with wise men will be wise. Or how about Proverbs 20? A man should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Yeah, it matters who your sphere is. It matters about the people you allow to speak into your life. It makes a difference. You want to walk in power? You want to walk in the word of God? You want to have an awesome prayer life? Find men and women that actually have that and do that. And cling to them. And pray with them. And fast with them. And read the word with them. If you want to become like that. If that's not your desire, again, going back to covetousness, you got a problem. Because this needs to be the desire. It's pure. It's holy. It's beautiful. Then continuing on, this is... uh, second part to this, whose faith follow, then it says this, considering the outcome of their conduct. In other words, if you have responsible shepherds in the community and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, then for a moment, step back and say, what is their outcome? Where are they going to be when it hits? What happens when they die? They're going to be on the side of the sheep. They're going to be at the right hand of Yeshua. They're going to be the ones that Yeshua says, well done, my good and faithful servant. They're the ones that are not going to taste judgment. They're not going to taste death. This is what you want to consider. We can can go to scripture all day long and look at all these beautiful, righteous men. Go back to Hebrews 11. All these men, consider the outcome of their faith. Consider that. I'm going to jump ahead just a bit. We're going to cheat. We're going to get close to the end here. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. We'll get into that when we get there. But this is what I want you to see. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. In other words, with a willing heart, there's to be a submissiveness. A submissiveness to not man, but to God and understanding what God has established. I love this passage, 2 Chronicles. It, ex- it shows you how this looks like, what this looks like. 2 Chronicles thirty twelve. Also the hand of God was on Yehuda to give them singleness of heart, 
Singleness of heart to do what? To obey the command of the king. Oh, and the leaders at the word of the Lord, not at the word of man, not according to the dictates of man's own heart. Again, waving their dictatorial wand around to just make people do what they want because they're in a position of authority. Not at all. It's a Holy Spirit thing. And so when the writer had just said that, you know, we were to do this with joy. When the Holy Spirit moves, this is what he does. He puts it into the heart of the people to have that. And he puts it into the heart of the leaders to lead righteously. It's what you would call the Acts Church. An absolute beautiful example of what we see here. And we'll close with this. When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. And what that means is when the leaders lead, when the leaders are walking in righteousness and doing the work, doing the work of the Lord, and they are good in his sight, when they lead in Israel, and when the people willingly offer themselves, they do this, you can praise the Lord. You're in the right community. And it's healthy. This is the sign of a healthy community. We're going to close here for today. I think we got through two verses, so we're doing good. All right. Abba, Father, we bow before you in the mighty and holy name of our Lord Yeshua. And we thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that the world is riddled with fear right now. And we know we are going to have to deal with this. I pray, Lord, that you prepare us. I pray that you increase our faith. All these times that I read in the Psalms about David, struggling with fear, being overwhelmed by fear. He always finishes it out by circling back, but I will trust in you. I will call upon my God and he will save me. His faith did not wax cold. He stood strong. And Lord Yeshua, we want to be a entire community of David's with that kind of faith, with that kind of perseverance with that kind of commitment and allegiance. We want to be Apostle Paul's, Lord. Though we, 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 we may experience unimaginable tribulations, we could be locked in prison, we can sing the praises of the Most High God. Because you're worthy. Lord, I pray for those who are dealing with covetousness, who are dealing with things of the world in their heart, they have not surrendered all. They haven't given it up. They're still clinging to things they just can't let go. They're trusting in man and making flesh their strength. Break those walls down, Lord, where people can just get out of the boat and walk on water, looking at you, trusting in you. And when the waves and seas begin to rise, when we begin to sink in the water, we cry out to your name. Just as you lifted Peter out of the water, you will lift us. So we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. Lord, move in this community through your spirit in a mighty, mighty way. As David said, I will wait upon the Lord. Yes, I will wait. May we wait in the sanctuary upon you, Lord. And we just pray this in the mighty name of Yeshua.